changer. Hopefully, the great Norman. Yes, well done. He's done it at last. Great Norman, 69. And great stuff. The champion for 1986. This episode's guest was born in Melbourne in 1966. He started playing golf at the age of 10, moved to Perth at 16 and was one of only a few AGU-approved scratch golfers in Australia. He turned pro in 1985 at 19. He won 23 tournaments worldwide, nearly won the 1992 Masters and 1999 Open Championship. He played and practiced a lot with Tiger and in fact taught him the stinger punch shot. Known to have one of the best short games of all time, one of the nicest people in Australian sport, please welcome Craig Parry. Welcome, Paz, on the podcast. No worries, Glenn. Nice to be here. Uh, it's going to be a good chat. We've known each other for probably 30 years now. Um, we haven't spent a lot of time together, but um, you've always had a great influence on me. When I was only a young kid at Concord Golf Club, um, about to start my traineeship, you lived down the road. You were already a... I'd say a world-class player by that stage. That was 1990 or something. And, um, yeah, I've always thought the world is. So I look forward to having a bit of a chat and digging not just into the golf side of things but um, but into a little bit of, you know, your personal life and growing up and how you balanced, you know, being a, a great golfer and a dad and um, husband and all that sort of stuff. So it should be good, mate. Let's, let's get started. So Paz, born in Melbourne. Yep. It's, it's, yep. it's spoken about a bit that um, I know people often joke with you, you know, which state do you come from? So Melbourne and um, then obviously to Perth and then you end up a, a New South Welshman later on. But um, in tell me about your parents back, back home in Melbourne. Um, tell me about your mum and dad. What are their names and what do they do for work? Um, mum is Irene, um, a housewife that uh, stayed at home, looked after the home, made sure everything was right with my brother and I. Yep. And yep. Um, my father is Tom. Uh, he worked at ICI Explosives in the, in the day, which is at Deer Park, and he was moving all over Australia. And it got to that point where it was you can move to WA and be located in one area. Right. Rather than having to go up to Queensland, down to Tassie, over to Perth. Yeah, right. Just move around all the time. So Dad worked at ICI Explosives. He was a fitter and turner by trade. Yeah. And he was with uh, ICI Explosives for many, many years. And Mum or Dad golfers? Uh, They both played golf, um, not at a very good high level. Yeah. Very good, I was going to say. But um, it, it's it's quite funny. Both my brother and I are professionals, and we really can't help Dad out with his golf at all. So uh, it's, it's one of those things that uh, he loves playing, and uh, you know he still plays uh, three times a week. Does he? Right? He, he's going to come back at, at the end of this year, but um, who knows? He, he loves getting out with his mates and having a hit. Where's he a member? He's a member at Meadow Springs. Uh, sorry, um, Mandra. In, uh, oh, it's w- beautiful w- down there. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so um, the reason I said Meadow Springs, that was the last time he went out with my brother and he actually beat him off a stick, nine holes. So he did he, not. He did, yeah. yeah so he, he beat Glenn out. and Glenn's a pro and your dad's a – what's your dad's handicap? Oh, he'd be 28, I reckon, now. So that's how many rounds of golf Glenn plays. Oh, he's going to love listening to this. And <laughs> um, so you started golf. I listened to another podcast you did. So you started golf at 10 and yep. Tom Duguid – from Golf Vic or whatever, must have been a legend. So he, he helped you change your age or something on the form to get you into a club early. Yeah, I when you join a club in Victoria, I, I joined when I was 10 years of age and you weren't supposed to join before you were 13. And uh, my application come in with probably a few others and uh, Tom actually changed the date of birth so we could actually what all become members of um, Sunshine Golf Club. What a legend. And... I'm thinking of a young 10-year-old Craig Parry. Is you, is Glenn older than you, your brother? No, he's younger. He's younger. But I imagine these two young boys going out and having a hit at golf. Can you imagine you as a young kid think, ever even dreaming of where you got to in the game? Oh, no. Looking back on my career, um, you know, all I wanted to do was – play sport as a young kid growing up yeah. and uh, you know when I got to about 13 years of age I wanted to become a professional golfer as far as you know looking after the shop yeah oh yeah I love, yeah. I love the aspect of um, in the 80s we were able to you know reshaft clubs and uh, do the binding on on a on a uh, wooden headed driver or three wood or you know just regret clubs and yeah, just yeah. all the hands on stuff that yeah. You know, it used to be a, a golf professional. Nowadays, they just throw them out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, I used to love all that part of it. And I, I worked for a guy called Chris Staff a couple of weeks in my uh, holidays just to see if I wanted to do it. And I, I, I really did like doing it. But what happened, I, I started to play better and better golf. And, you know, one thing led to another. And I ended up then joining uh, the Victorian Schoolboy State team and started to get better and better and, and, you know, with more practice become better at golf and then had to change my thought pattern yeah, right. to be a, a, a club pro to be a, a touring player. Yeah, which most which is the dream for most golf pros. What what were you like at school? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, the school I actually went to was Sunshine Tech. Yeah, it was made famous in the castle. That's where the daughter went off to. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. The school. So that was the school I actually went to. Yeah, uh, and um, I actually did applied science. Uh, I don't know how I did applied science, but I was in the the, the top class. And um, you know, school was uh, secondary school was a lot more fun than, than primary school. Um, primary school was a little bit boring, and um, yeah. you know, I, I was. Still into my golf when I was in, in primary school, but it, it didn't have enough time for it. But yeah. it was only when I got to the secondary school that I could go off and play in, in, in the comps and um, go and play golf on my afternoon sport rather than having to go and do other things. And, yeah, um, yeah. And, and, you know, it, it, yeah, I, I was going to say, it's the only subject that I ever failed was, was golf um, because <laughs> I wouldn't give the teacher's lessons. So he failed me. <laughs> really? So that, that was the only, lesson, the only subject I failed. What other sports did you play as a kid? I played uh, cricket and Aussie rules footy. Where did we end up in the cricket yesterday? What was the 
uh, we're a couple under in front. Uh, right. It, 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 it could end up, uh, if they get nice weather up there today in Brisbane, it, it could be all over today. They they might throw them back in and um, they they did remarkably well that first um yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, one I, of the best balls I've ever seen, and the opening ball of the, the test match. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, I. I did, what What happened there? I didn't see that. Yeah, I bowled him around his legs. It was an absolute crack of a ball. Is that the same as Warney's first ever bowl? That yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, but it was a first ball of the series. It was only the second time it's ever happened. Wow, I didn't hear about that. Um, yeah, it's pretty amazing stuff. Because I yesterday I um, was at a golf club and I walked past the telly and. Uh, Warner was on ninety four or yeah, ninety something, and uh, Green was in, and then Warner got out. Green got out. Head was on one, and then I saw later on Head got over. Or did he get a century? Did he get a ton? I think oh, he did. I don't know. He's, he's ended up. Um, he did. I think. What he ended up with. Yeah. I think he's over a hundred. Um, anyway, so you so say you loved your cricket, loved your AFL. So who, who you follow a ter- a Perth team? No, I'm actually I was Western Bulldogs, which oh, is right. the old yep. Footscray. Yep. And I was my first autograph was E. J. Witten, Mr. Football. Yeah, yeah. When I was three years old and I've still got that um autograph uh, book in in my Yeah, office. right. And um I ended up becoming number one ticket holder for the Western Bulldogs for about six or seven years. Yeah. And then um after I won the Australian Open, uh, David Smorgan rang me and he said, uh, we're going to change the way we're going to have their number one ticket holders. And um, and I said, yeah, that's fine. If I can help out with the club, I'll help out. And yep. uh, ended up designing um, Mount Derham at Golf Club in Victoria and got all the, the coaches and the players, all the one-year membership at Mount Derham. And uh, that was a lot of fun, you know, being the only outsider going to the, the the golf days for the, the yeah. Bulldogs and, you know, it was pretty cool stuff. And even to this day, um, every weekend you look forward to the game and watch it? Oh, absolutely. I'm, Love it. I'm a one-eyed nut. Um, if uh, you barrack for the other team, you don't want to be around me. I'm you not give a it to good uh, spectator. <laughs> good. I just want to take this short break from the show to mention our friends at mybottleshop.com. If you ever see a Yardage Book Yarns MyBottleShop.com ad on any of our social pages, click the like button. It's as easy as that. And you go into the draw to win one of three cases of James Squire Liquid Gold. Yep, three cases every episode. Go to MyBottleShop.com. Have a look. They have over 14,000 products online. Check them out. Now, back to the show. Okay, so you're in. Um, you're about to move to Perth, you said, for your dad's work. Um, yep. How old are you at this stage? Like, are you 16 or something? Yeah, 16. Yep. I, I ended up finishing school uh, with my staying at my grandparents' house. Yeah. And um, mum and dad and my brother went over about six months earlier. Yeah. And, and uh, we had an interstate schoolboys trip um, where I played for Victoria and we went across to the west and we played a handful of golf courses. And, and one of the courses was Raw from Randall. And um, because they'd had a really strong pennant team and, and strong culture, and we were moving into that area, I joined Royal Fremantle. Right. And, um, you know, and then all of a sudden I know where I'm going. I've, I've really got no friends as I go over there as a senior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All my mates are, are really in the golf industry and, the, and golfers. Yeah. And, um, you know, it suited me perfect. And how far was Royal Fremantle from home? 
uh, literally five minutes. Oh, right next door, right. Yeah. When, when I first went to WA, I arrived in December. They had their 10th bank hold up for the year in December. Um, no, nothing was getting into WA. Nothing was getting out of WA. They used to turn the lights off at about two o'clock in the morning uh, because there was no one on the roads. Uh, oh, that's it funny. A, a sleepy old town, and it was a great spot to grow up. Yeah, and um, I heard somewhere you say you got down to scratch, which was a big deal um, for golf back then. I mean, this handicap system changed a lot, but you got down to scratch over there. Yeah, that's, that's right. There were only a handful of golfers in the whole country. Yeah, I remember. were actually on a scratch handicap, and you had to get approved by, back in those days, it was uh, Golf Australia. The AGU, yeah. A, AGU, yeah. yeah. They had to approve that you were a scratch player, and you had to do it on not only your own home course, but also courses that you played um, throughout the year, and then you would get approved, and then as you would gradually go even lower like plus one plus two and i think i ended up getting a plus three which means every time you go out you've got to beat the the, the scoring uh, ranking of the day by plus the three yeah, dots, yeah yeah you know just to play level so yeah. you know there, there weren't many golfers there was probably only a handful of golfers back in the day in the 80s that were actually plus handicappers it's hard to win a ball off plus three Shit. Yeah, it's, it's very hard to win anything on, on plus three handicap. <laughs> and um, what was I going to say? Um, of, of who I was going to say, who were the first uh, gun players in your mind? Who did you meet? They, they, you know, they don't have to be a Norman or something. But who were the who were the guys that you or, or girls that you met and you thought? Like they're really good, and you and you could actually beat them, and started to think, you know what, I've got a chance here. Yeah, um, well, Tim Elliott, who ends up being my best man yep. uh, in my wedding. Well, my brother was best man, but Tim was in my bridal party. Um, Tim was probably one of the best golfers I'd ever seen as an 18-year-old. Yep. Uh, you know, he'd go out and shoot any eight-unders, not not a problem at all, on, on, doing it on his ear. Yep. And um, eventually Tim turned pro, and I joined him later on, and we travelled quite a bit. And uh, because we were both in the same club and we used to practice quite a bit together and you know, I was good mates with his brother as well, David. Um, Tim was probably the, the best young player that I'd seen in the early days. Yeah. And, and then you have a lot of players that come and go over the time. Bradley King was a very good player as well. Um, a ton of talent. Brett Ogle in his younger days. Brett and I were in the Australian team together when we went off to Canada. There was only a two-man team. Um, you know, Brett was a, a, an immense talent that yeah. could just, you know, hit shots a lot. Ball of striker. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He, he probably just didn't have my short game Yeah. Um, to, to actually get him to that next level. I mean, he, he won tournaments. He won tournaments on the PJ Tour. Yeah. But uh, he always used to say, if he had my short game, he'd be winning majors. And he was probably right. Yeah, I, I was just thinking the same thing. If he hit it tee to green, I interviewed him on this podcast early days, like a year ago. He was fantastic. But, um, yeah, I think the same thing. If, if he was hitting the ball tee to green and um, and you were chipping and putting, no one would get near you guys. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But, uh, you know, I didn't have the ball striking ability that they did, but I had a pretty good short game. And And – course management stuff he told me a great story you probably know it but he um when i interviewed him he told me this story that um 
He was up in Sydney, long hair, earring. They wouldn't – golf New South Wales, or back in the day, New South Wales Golf Association wouldn't pick him for a team and he was getting the shits and uh, he said, they can jam it. I'm not, not even going to play. So he stopped playing golf. He was living down in Goulburn. Anyway, he was on his way with a mate up through Sydney and they were – uh, up to no good and anyway on his way back down through Campbelltown area they were siphoning petrol do you know the story he was siphoning petrol out of a car and a guy came out with a shotgun and he had to go to Campbelltown court and, and they're great stories for people to hear you know straight from the horse's mouth so he goes to Campbelltown court and the judge says to him mate I'm reading your you know, sheet here, you're a bloody good golfer, you're a nice young kid, you've got to stop doing this crap and get back into your golf. And that was the turning point. So then he then he thinks, you know what, I probably should give it another crack. So, and, and that was the turning point. So he gets a haircut, you know, over a couple of years, he gets back into his golf and gets his handicap down and turns pro because he doesn't want to be picked in any teams or let them decide his, his uh, career. Did, did you know that story? No, I didn't. It's a good one, eh? Yeah, it's very good. The old shotgun pointing at Bogle and the at ten, you know, ten o'clock at night in Campbelltown. Guy's going to bloody shoot them. Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's a tough upbringing, Brett had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was great. Yeah, adopted and all that. He he was great to talk to. Yeah. Okay, so now you're a good player and you're in Perth. Um, you're about to turn pro. How did you have enough cash? to take on traveling and all that sort of stuff? Did you have a part-time job or? Um, I had a part-time job with one of the members at the golf club. He used to um, import the PGF brand in a WA. Yep. So I'd work a couple of days a week for him and uh, I was saving up my money. And then when I first turned pro, my first event, because there was nothing in Australia, I, I – um, I, I flew to Melbourne and I finished second just to pay for my airfare and accommodation and make a little bit on the side. Yeah. And, and that was my, my first event. Right. Um, so, you know, back in the day you had to play really well and I had really no money and, um, you know, just had to go out and, and perform. And I was fortunate enough that, you know, I got off to a pretty good start. Um, and, and I lost a little bit of money up in, um, Asia in my second year, mum and dad helped me out yeah. and they said, no, pay it back. And I did. Yeah. And, um, you know, once I'd won my first event in Canada, the, the tournament players championship in 87, um, you know, then I was away, come back and won the New South Wales open a few weeks later. Uh, yeah. Right. 27 grand, which was massive back then. Yeah, of course. Do you, um, you sort of person that reflects, you know, and, and not not you'd sit there and do it all the time, but sometimes sit sit back and with a beer out in the back and think, I took it from not even you know having any money to go and play, to traveling the world, buying homes, setting my family up and my grandkids, you know, future grandkids for life and all that sort of stuff. Um, no, I, I really don't look back on it. Yep. Um, uh, just. Just haven't looked back on it at this point. Um, I've looked back and thought, oh, well, I've played all right in this event and won this event and that event. And, um, but otherwise, not really. Yeah, a lot of people say that. It's interesting because from an outsider's perspective, we see it – well, well, I do. I see he's a young guy, didn't have a lot of cash, 
um, good enough to turn pro, goes and takes on the world and uh, and sets his life up and his family's life. But but a lot of the golfers, when you talk to them, they don't know. They just they just stay in it's just like anyone else's life. They just carry on and and don't you know sit back and think about it too much. It's pretty common, I think. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Life you know, just goes on. Ask too many questions. You just get up each day and practice, and you know try and improve at your game. Um, you, you're really not looking back. Yeah. You're always looking forward. What's the next tournament I'm playing in? Yeah, and um, it, it's actually quite a demanding uh, sport, professional golf. You know, getting off a plane, having to travel the other side of the world, and and perform. If you don't perform, you're coming home and you've lost a whole heap of cash. And yeah, um, you know it. It, it can be quite difficult at times, but you you just have to um, see it out as, as much as you can and, and, you know, the tide will turn if you've done all the practice and all the preparation. And if you're good enough. And, and at the end of the day, um, it sorts the boys out from the men, doesn't it? The, the travel, you know, being away from your wife or your kids, um, whether you've got enough money trying to play, you know, without much cash in the bank and uh, – different countries, time zones. It's going to sort you out one way or the other, isn't it? Absolutely. You have to be very well organised. Um, you have to be um, the, disciplined. the type of person that is really disciplined. Yeah. Uh, you have to be selfish because you have to go out and practice when you know you, all your mates are going out into the pub and yeah. uh, you know it might be a late night and all of a sudden you're in bed at eight o'clock because you've got a six a.m. tea time the next morning and you know you just have to be very disciplined and and know what you need to do to achieve the goals yeah it's full on when did you meet where or where did you meet jenny when did you meet jenny because you end up in sydney when when did you guys meet uh we met on a plane going up to the gold coast i was traveling through sydney from perth and uh she was going up there with her friends and just happened to um, meet her on the plane, and then later on that night, just happen to go to the same place. So, wow. um, it's just one of those things that um, our paths crossed, and you know, she knew nothing about golf back in the day. Yeah, and uh, it was January of '88 that we first met, and um, I took her over to Europe. Uh, we had two weeks in Europe, and six weeks in Japan, and one week in Korea. And back in those days, there was, a, there was no internet, and you were more or less on your own, for, away from Australia. And you know, we went away for nine weeks or whatever it was, and uh, got on really well. And the rest is history. Beautiful. And and um, how's she going these days? Is she still swimming now that you've moved to Pitwater? The move's been good. Oh, the move's been fantastic. What um, a beautiful spot. Yeah, absolutely. It's a fantastic spot. And, um, you know, we knew we were always going to move uh, up to the beaches. It was just a matter of getting the kids through schooling because yeah. um, both Ryan and Brendan were at Trinity and April's at PLC in Croydon there. And, um, you know, their their schooling was important to us. So we, we got them through their schooling. And once the schooling had finished, um, we moved up northern beaches. Yeah, right. And where did Jenny grow up in Sydney? She was at uh, Haberfield yep. in, in Leichhardt yep. uh, growing, growing up. And um, so we didn't venture too far away from her area, you know, being in Abbotsford yep. and Concord. Yep. Um, and, and did her old man, I remember, what was her dad's name? 
Uh, Jimmy? Jimmy. I remember Jimmy well from Concord. He's a great bloke. Did, did, was he a golfer before he, yeah, Jimmy, you guys met? Jimmy loved playing golf. He, he was a member at Barmore Park. Yeah. Uh, I think the best he got down to was about 14 handicap. Yeah. Uh, but he just loved his golf and uh, he was a lovely man. Yeah, he was a champion player. I loved him. So, and then you, um, so you moved to Sydney. I remember you lived in um, in Concord, behind the um, or close to the uh, to Brett and uh, and the folks boys. Yep. And um, so so now you're up at at Concord practicing, but you by this stage you're traveling the world and you and you're doing well. So you settle in and you've got what. Uh, how many kids would you had by then? By ninety in like early nineties. Uh well, April arrived in. Oh, geez, here we go. Um, <laughs> she arrived in ninety two. Oh, there you go. And, yeah, and, and Ryan was ninety four, and Brendan was ninety seven. Right, so ninety two is a big year for you. That's the year of the Masters, right? Yes, yes, it was a big year. And um, you're obviously playing great by then. How many tournaments would have you won by then? A fair few. Uh, probably a hand, handful. I'd won twice in Europe. Um, I won a German Open and a Wang Four Stars, which was two big events on the European Tour. I won one in Japan, uh, the Bridgestone Asso Tournament. So, and a handful of events in Australia. So, you know, I'd won a few events, but nothing that was going to prepare me for what happened at Augusta. No, obviously. And... I knew you, I had just met you around this time, and I remember, um, I, I you wouldn't remember this, but I, obviously I would. I um, was only like a 17-year-old trainee, and I was um, on the practice fairway with you at Concord the day that you told me that your green invitation had arrived. So that, that would have been, let's say, um, mid-91 or something like that. Um I remember you saying, or oh, yeah, it was something about the green invitation from Augusta arriving in the in the mailbox at Concord. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's the only event where you actually get a invitation to play. Um, it's it's run by the golf club, the Masters Tournament. Yeah. It's owned by the golf club, so it's got really nothing to do with the European Tour, the PGA Tour, the Australian Tour. Uh, it, it's yeah. a golf club running their own event, and they can do whatever they want with that event, invite whoever. Um, just because a player wins a Masters doesn't mean that he's going to be invited back. That's funny. Example. That's funny. Uh, it, it's a really unusual situation. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's a wonderful golf course and uh, every year you'd go back there, it would be a slight change on the golf course. And, you know, I remember going back one year, the, the players on the first hole kept driving it into the bunker on the right-hand side. And it wasn't until after, you know, a couple of practice rounds, everyone had realised that they'd moved the bunker but hadn't actually changed it in the yardage book. Oh. So, <laughs> but no one actually knew that the, the bunker had actually moved down the fairway. It was a lot longer. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's but, funny. Um, they, they can do some funny little things like that and, uh, you know, change a green undulation or – so they can put a whole location in um, that, that's really, really difficult. I mean, you know, at Augusta, when they're putting the holes out, it's a flat area around the hole by about three foot at the most. <laughs> Brutal. And then everything else is on a slope, yeah. Brutal. And so is this your first ever Masters that you nearly win? 
No, I, I played first in 1990. Right. Uh, was my, my first Masters. And How'd you um, go on that one? I, I struggled. Yeah. Um, as as every rookie that goes to Augusta, you know, you do your preparation, you think, oh, yeah, I'm ready to go. And you, you play your practice rounds and you go, okay, they've changed the golf course this year. There's no rough around the waters. and Yeah. And so, sorry, they haven't shaved down around the water, but there's, you know, quite a bit of growth around the water with the grass. And, and you know, the greens aren't as quick. And then all of a sudden the gun goes off on the Thursday and they've shaved down the banks of the the hazard and balls are running into water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a totally different beast. And um, it's just a really tough golf course And once the, the gun goes. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. So, And then you do you play 91 or you don't get invited back? No, I, I didn't get invited back in 91. Yep. Um, but uh, 92 was the, the year that I got invited back. I, I think I was about 13 in the world in the world rankings. Right. Um, you know, so I'd been playing really well over a number of years. And um, back in those days, uh, Augusta used to only invite a handful of players from outside uh, the US. Yeah. And it was very difficult to get an invitation. And the week in 92, like we obviously know who won, what do you, yep. what, what are your um, greatest memories apart from the crowd giving you a hard time? Um and and trying to get Freddie over the line on that last day because I remember you you had to play the end of the third round on the morning on the Sunday morning didn't you? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, only a few so holes I, or something. I, yeah, I was playing uh, with Woosnam, and we got to the fourteenth green on the Saturday evening because we had lightning thunderstorms throughout the afternoon and we we pulled off the golf course and darkness come in and. I had about a 15-foot putt on 14, and I, I couldn't really see the, the line of it. it was, stupidly, I putted it, and, and uh, I, I hit it up close and knocked it in for par, but I, I probably would have had a better opportunity to make the putt Next. if I come back on yep. that Sunday morning. Yep. Wisdom, in, in, in his um, plane of the hole, he said, no, I'm going to come back the next day right. after I had already putted it. But... Um, Anyway, uh, we come back and we got the last four holes to, to play, and I, I parred 15, uh, parred 16, I birdied 17, and then parred 18. So um, I remember it very clearly. Right, and then and then probably back for a rest, getting you ready for the because you're now le- you're now leading the Masters with a round to go, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so um, we got back out in the golf course at about seven o'clock in the morning. We'd finish the uh, the round, the third round, and, and that was about 8 o'clock and go back to the hotel. I, I tried to go back and have a snooze because obviously we were up early in the morning to get out to play the last four holes and then um, you know, go out late in the afternoon on the on the Sunday. It was about a 3 o'clock tee off and, uh, you know, it been a warm day and the, the spectators had quite a bit to drink. <laughs> they're, on the, they're on the cans out, out at Augusta. And well, yeah, they they were they were having a few few beers, yeah. Uh-huh. And and here comes Paz trying to win his first major, and uh, and they all want and Freddie being a good bloke and a legend of the game, all these Yanks want Freddie to win. And because I remember you telling me when you got home, they were slapping chairs and a little bit out of the out of the ordinary, right? 
or has it changed yeah, over the years? It wasn't. It wasn't the Augusta that um, that everyone had grown up with. Yeah, right. Yeah, they were yeah. actually going to change the the sales of alcohol for the following year. Yeah. When I come back in '93, have an international dinner, and I, I had to sit next to the head of security and head of uh, alcohol sales <laughs> in in the, in the international dinner. It was quite funny. Yeah. Um, they said, okay, so what happened last year? And they were going to stop the the beer sales an hour earlier uh, yeah. to make sure that the spectators weren't out of control. And, Let's carry on. Yeah, and then I played with Jack Nicholas that, that uh, first round in '93, and he said, "What happened?" Yeah, and I, I went through and and told Jack. But uh, Davis Love, he come up to me after the round and he said, "Look, you know, don't take it personal. Um, it, it's just what happens when you." playing against uh, Fred or John yeah. Daly or yeah. uh, someone like that. He had the same thing happen to him in the LA Open only a couple of weeks earlier. So right. he said, look, just don't take it personal. He said, um, you know, it is what it is and you'll, you'll, you'll come back and play really well. Davis was, Davis was fantastic and um, he, you yeah. know, a lot of the other players are as well, yeah. And who, um, looking back on your career over in Europe and the States, um, outside of Aussies, who do you have fondest? I think you remember you mentioned to me once Craig Stadler. Um, which guys, if you were to travel around, for example, the US with um, three or four two US tour players from years gone by, who would you pick? Not not a golfing trip, just a couple of weeks on the road, couple of mates having a good time. Who would you who would you pick? Uh... Stadler, <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, uh, um, Len Matisse was a great guy. Lenny um, Matisse, yeah, remember him? Yeah, he, he got really close to winning a, a players' championship. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of another player. That Who else go. are the really good blokes? Uh, oh, there's a lot of really good blokes. I'm just trying to picture if you're going to be <laughs> traveling around, uh, uh, spending a bit of time together, you need. Um, guys, you really got on well with. Um, you know, it's mainly the Aussies that we we hung up. Yeah, with. right. Yeah, Bradley Hughes, um, Grades, Finchie. Yeah. Um, you know, th- those guys were the ones we actually would have our practice rounds together and um, you know, spend a lot of time with each other. And tell me about Stads. What a, the Walrus? What a classic um, icon of our game. When did you first meet? Um, his son's a bloody good player, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Kevin's a very good player. Yeah. Um, I, I first met Stads, oh, geez, many, many years ago up in Japan. Yeah. When they used to, when they used to come and play the Dunlop Phoenix and the Visa Taheo tournaments, and um, he's just a really nice person. Is he? Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, you know, golf is something he does, but it's not. It doesn't define him. And, yep. and um, yep. we went around to his house one year at the international tournament. And he put a a, a video simulator in one of the rooms and we were playing the international tournament and he's got his own little keg and what have you and <laughs> starts pouring beers and we're hitting balls into the simulator at, at Castle Pines, which was the golf course we're playing at, yeah. and we're hitting the same yardages in the simulator as what we did previously on the golf course that day. It, right. it was un- unbelievable. We were having so much fun. That's crazy. And he so he won the Masters in 82 stats. Yep. I think he had – I'm just thinking back to him. He used to wear those baggy pants. He was such a nonchalant sort of – he had a blade putter. Yeah. I loved him. Um, he won like 
he won truckloads of tournaments. He won like 30 times around the world. Yeah, he, he traveled a lot. He wasn't your typical uh, American guy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Travel. He, he beat me in Scandinavia in Stockholm um, at the SE Open. I finished second. He won the tournament. And, uh, you know, we, we played a lot over the years together. And um, when I went and played the Champions Tour, he said, look, any time you've got a week off, just go to our place. Uh, the key's under the, the mat. Just come and help yourself. We've got plenty of grog there. Just, you know, just one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. I wanted to take a short break from the show to let you know about our friends at Brisbane East, Gold Coast and Sydney South Commander Business Centres. If you own or run a business, let them do a health check on your business communications. The worst thing that could happen is you find out that your current deal is okay. And if you sign up at one of these three centres, you'll receive a 50-inch plasma TV. Offering Ericsson LG solutions, contact one of these Commander Business Centres today. I just got a text from um, Radar. He's back in. He's back in Sydney. I said to him, um, interviewing Paz at ten o'clock. You got any stories? Um, I said I'll I'll see you at the junior tournament next um, Friday at the bottom. And he he comes back. And he goes, Hey mate, what junior tournament? <laughs> no Paz stories. He's a classic. I'm going to catch up with Radar. How long since you've seen Radar? Oh, President's Cup a couple of years ago, uh, down in Melbourne, I reckon. Oh, would have been. he's a funny man. He is, he a, is a very funny he's man. He's a funny man. So, um, so Stads and um, who are the best ball strike? Well, a couple of questions because you were you were an amazing putter, amazing short game. Who who were the best ball strikers you ever saw? Oh, jeez. Well, Norman was pretty good with a driver. Yep. Um, Irons, probably Graham Marsh. Right. Don't know much about him. Yeah, Graham well, Marsh, yeah. Mar- Mar- Marsh, Rod Marsh, the cricketer's Yes, brother, yes. Yeah. Uh, he won 60-odd tournaments around the world. Oh, yeah, I know who he is, but I just don't. Yeah, Graham Marsh is not a name because he didn't win a major, right? No. But he's no, a he great player. Senior Open. Right, right, right. Yeah, so yeah, but, so um, he was a Marsh great iron player. Yeah. And it's reflected in his golf design work as well. Um, you know, he, he just plods the ball around, so that's the type of golf course that he has as well. So he book bunkers up at distances that he can't reach, and then the longer hit it does reach, and then he'll make it a demanding shot into the green, uh, which is, suits him. He can't hit in the fairway bunker. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. Hit it on the green with his second shot. Is that so, something that you, as a player um, – were interested because obviously you've done a great job with with a lot of your courses, Coffs and Cabramatta and Wakers and your names and your names growing Foster, Palm Beach, Bayview. There's heaps of them. Tevin, um, is that something as a player when you were playing that you took an interest in, or did that grow over the years that you'd start to look at? Yeah, I like what they've done here and the changes, or were you always interested in it? Uh, I've always been interested in it, um, even as a young kid. Yeah, right. Always, um, interested in the golf design. When I was a youngster, I'm talking five years old, I used to have the the map of St. Andrews on a, um, a tea towel that my grandmother bought back from Scotland. Yeah. And, um, you yeah, know, showing me all the different bunkers at the St. Andrews golf course. And, 
you know, the names of the bunkers. I used to remember all the different names of the bunkers as well. Really? So when you get there to play it, I knew where everything was. Wow, so, wow, wow. Yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting. I remember many years ago, I was playing with Jack Nicholas in his last round on the on the PGA Tour at Memorial, and um, I, I'd said to him I'd been making a couple of changes out at uh, the Australian um, golf club that he designed. Yep. We were just talking about it, and I was telling him what I was doing, and he said, is there anything here at Muirfield Village that you would change? And I said, yeah, there is. And he looked at me quite strange. We're out in the tournament. Yeah. Playing, <laughs> yeah. And I said, see this bunker over here on the uh, seventh hole? I said, it needs to be shallower on the, the fairway side and get deeper as it goes wider. You know, that way the shot that gets hit closer to the fairway gets a better yeah, shot yeah, than yeah. the one that gets hit wider. And he's gone, hmm, I agree with you. So I come back the following year and he hunts me down in the locker room. That's cool. And, and I played my practice round and – he come up and he said, uh, what do you reckon? And I said, you're talking about the seven, the bunkers, aren't you? And he said, yep. And I said, yeah, you've done a fantastic job. That's that, cool. That's, that's one of the really good things about Jack Nicholas. Um, you could say something to him that was constructive. Yep. And, and you gave a good reason why you thought it was wrong. And, and he would listen to you and, and take it on board. I wasn't being... Um, yeah, exactly. Derogatory or anything? No, that's right. No, that's right. And, and I think he did an, an absolutely fantastic job with the Australian, uh, with the redesign again. Yeah, so do I, yeah. Uh, you know, we can play an Aussie Open on it and then the, the members can play the next day in the club comp. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that that young guy that I, I mentioned to you ages ago when we played a pro-am up at uh, wherever it was, um, Hawks Nest. Yeah, Hawks so Nest. He, he's now off. He won... Jeff Guan, he won the New South Wales Junior yesterday for the second time. He's off plus seven at the Aussie. He's seventeen. That's crazy, isn't it? He's a he's a good good young player. But he's but the best thing about him is um he, he's a he's a really nice kid. He's humble, he's um polite. Apparently I wasn't there yesterday, but the speech he gave, he's just He's a nice kid. He doesn't have um, any arrogance about him. I mean, they've put him on the front cover of Golf Digest and stuff. And but no, he's he's a nice kid. He's going well. But plus seven at the Aussies, pretty special, isn't it? These days, oh, absolutely. I'd be lucky to be seventeen, let alone plus seven. He's going all right. Okay, so when did you first met Tiger Woods when he was seventeen over in Carnoustie? Yep. And what did you think about this kid? Uh, I thought he can hit it a long way. He was hitting his one iron past my driver back in those days. Yeah. And um, his game just was a little raw. Yeah. Um, back when he was 17. And you've got to remember, he was still doing schooling. Yeah, right. You know, he hadn't had all the, the time in the world to go and practice to, to get his game right. He, you know, he was just learning his game. Yeah. Learning his trade and, and – you know, it wasn't until uh, even just a couple of years later that he was a totally different player. He, he was more refined. Um, the, Tiger never got a lot of accolades on his ability to actually think his way around the golf course. Yeah. You know, sure, he might have hit a couple of wayward drives, but, you know, when you hit it wayward and long, you're getting closer to the green. So if you <laughs> yeah, that's right. You've got a shorter shot. So yeah. it, it's a much easier game if, if you're – 
closer to the green. And, uh, you know, he was very, very good. And um, later on, so you, you played a lot together and then later on you end up both living at Islesworth. Um, so you got to practice together and play together. And there's a famous story you told me once where um, the whole world knows about Tiger Stinger, but you claim, and, and you know it's the truth, that um, you're playing together in Carnoustie and you're hitting these shots under the wind and he wants to know when you get back home, he, he pulls you aside and says, let's go and whack some balls on the range and I'll, I want to learn to hit this shot that you've got that I don't. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, Tiger and I used to, oh, there used to be a whole heap of tour players, but, you know, Tiger would get you out occasionally and, you know, you hit shots and you call shots. So calling the shot might have been, you know, I hit a fade here and it's got to start five metres left of the target or or you've got to hit a high hook and five on or whatever. Yeah. And the only club that the only shot that he couldn't hit at that time was a high draw and three wood. And it used to make him so angry. And I'd say, look, if you can't hit it, no one else in the world can hit it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, exactly. Said, just just lay it up. Um, but, uh, you know, he wanted to know how to hit a, a, a punch long iron. He calls it a stinger. Um, you know, so growing up in WA, you learnt how to play in the wind. Yeah. And uh, it's very similar to what they have in Texas uh, where the wind blows and you just got to control your ball. And do you think – well, a couple of questions on Tiger. When he won the Masters again – post so many surgeries and and um, some of the things the media put him through in his personal life and all that sort of stuff um he had trouble with his chipping really poorly at that at some stages um were you surprised that he came back and won them another major no not surprised yeah no no i i used to have people that would say to me you're an idiot he's never going to come back and i said you don't know the guy that's right Uh, (laughs) he he, he's has the ability to, to play like it's a, the Masters to to win a $2 bet. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's crazy. It, it's just that inbuilt, you're not going to beat me. Right. And, uh, you know, that killer instinct that Tiger's got and, you know, it helped him through his career. And, and obviously it's helping him now. I, I see he's coming back to play the father. Yeah, son. yeah, I saw that. Um, I saw so, that. So, uh, you know, just that desire that he's got um, – Hopefully he has learned a lesson with his driving of a car and slow it down a bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's done a lot of like I saw. Did you see the other day that he was interviewed and and he mentioned that um, they someone or the doctors must have been the specialist um, were talking at one stage about amputation. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's I, ridiculous. I that. Well, yeah, it was a pretty bad accident and yeah, yeah. He's no got through it, and um, hopefully he's a little bit more sensible with his lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, and um, and he's a dad now, so you know far more than golf. That you know those kid, kids need their dad, and um, so uh, will he? Will he win again? Um, I wouldn't back against him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Winning again, yeah. um, because he's going to find a golf course that. You know, he, he knows better than everyone else. It might be a, a, a PGA or something like that or just a, a regular tour event that they move around the country and 
he's already won at that golf course. It might be a golf course like, say, Durrell. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Trump, Trump is no longer president. It may go back there, and he knows how to win around that golf course. And these young guys have never played it before, so they have to learn the golf course, and it takes a little bit of time. It, it can take you a couple of days to learn how to play a golf course, and Tiger has that ability to, to go back on all his history of the golf course that he has played and uh, know what shots he has to prepare when he gets there. Yeah, exactly. Um, one question I meant to uh, ask you earlier, you changed – You, I only found out a couple of years ago when I played with you around Concord, I assumed that you grew up as a fader, you're a lucky bugger, um, hits the ball left to right, never hits it left, and it's just good fortune. And then uh, I asked you on the course and you said, mate, I was a hooker. And or I hit the ball right to left, like a lot of good players, and um, and now I, I made a, st- a strategic decision to go to left to right, and um, it wasn't your normal shot, and and obviously it's one of the best decisions you would have ever made in your life. But talk to me about that transition. Was that difficult? Did that take a year, three months? What was all that about? Yeah, it was probably a handful of months. Yeah. Um, I was playing with Baker Finch and, and Grady and the, the better players on the Australian tour and they come across the WA and, and and play in the May events that we used to have across there. And the better players in the world all hit it left to right. And, and Baker Finch was probably the standout. He used to hit these high drifting um, fades and, and that's what Nicholas and Norman and these guys used to do as well. Yeah. So there was a trait. The better players hit the fade. The the, the guys that were sort of in and out occasionally would hit the, the hooks. Yeah. And, um, you know, if I needed to get to that next level, I had to start controlling the ball. Uh, and the only way you can do that is with a fade. And did you do that on your own or with a coach? No, it was by myself. I actually worked it out. Um, okay, how do I hit a fade? get the butt of the club in front of the, the head of the, the um, club and, and just make sure that the hands are in front of the, the head at all times. Yep. And you can hit a fade with a closed club face. It's just a matter of how it goes through the ball. You said something to me once you would never remember, but, you, but I thought you'd lost the plot. You said something about your technique on the range at Concord, and I was only a young pro, and I thought, I think he's that doesn't make sense to me what he's what he's saying like it can't be right. Anyway, now we move forward 20 years and trackman's out there and there's technology out there. I can tell you for a fact and, and I know what you said and we don't need to go into it, but oh, I I know what I'm going. You were right. You hit the fade with a closed face. Exactly. You, you draw with your open face. Exactly and, and I'm thinking mate that can't be right. Like I I don't know that much about golf. I was 18 or something, but I'm like how can you hit a fade with a shut face? Now, I'm a golf coach, track man, we, you know, we study it pretty hard. And you couldn't be more right, but um, but you knew that. And Hogan was the same. Hogan, if I think back to the 1950s and some of the stuff that he was talking about and doing and feeling and trying, he was so far ahead of his time and so are you. Yeah, well, that, that – well. It's through everyone learning about hitting you know, shots. shots that, exactly. You know, yeah. used to work it out on the range, you know, through the divots. Yeah, right. And um, I, I don't know if – do you remember when I was 18 or 19 at, at 
or maybe a bit older at Concord, you asked me once to um, – you said to me once in the pro shop, hey, what do you got coming up in a, in a couple of months' time? And I said, oh, I've got tour school and this and that and the other. And he said, um, I don't think um, Glenn can caddy for me. Would you caddy for me for a few tournaments? Do you remember that? Uh, not really. Not really. Anyway, no. doesn't matter. But you asked me, so you said to me, and I'm like, you imagine me as a, I'm over the moon. I'm thinking I'm going to caddy for him in in a few tournaments. And you said, look, I don't, I can't be sure yet, but I'll, but I'll suss it out. Anyway, I found out you were, before mobile phones and that. I found out you were coming back from Japan, so I'm on the phone to you the day you came back, going, "Am I, you know, all excited? Am I caddying? Am I caddying? Am I caddying?" And you said, um. You're thinking, shit, I don't remember this. And you, and you said, um, I think Glenn can do it now. I'm like, how to deflate a bloke, mate. I've been so excited. Anyway, you you won that that Australian Masters. So that was um, – oh, it doesn't, it doesn't even matter what year it was. But you, you won the Masters. And I'm like, poor old GW back here. Glenn, his brother's caddying for me. You, won, you probably wouldn't have won the tournament if you had me on the bag anyway. I wouldn't have shut up and – you would have finished. Would have finished fifteenth. Um, so Paz, you you go on to win twenty three tournaments around the world. Um, you win a lot of money. Someone that didn't grow up with a lot of money. How do you? Was was that difficult? Um, I'm sure Jenny would be a, a, a good support there, um, having a good marriage and a good family. But how do you? How do you manage life? having a lot of money or having no money worries, is, is that a difficult thing to go through with good friends that, you know, you know, that might want to borrow money or how do you balance all that stuff? Uh, look, I, I had a really good manager and he still looks after me today, um, Tony Buffler. I know Buff, yeah. Uh, yeah, and um, Buff still looks after the finances today. Uh Never really. It wasn't a big deal. It. No, no, it was just something you had, and I was fortunate enough to yeah um, do all right with it. And so a good team, basically. When, once you've got a good manager, you can trust them and know that um, you just do your job and take care of, um, and, and then and then you know the family's looked after and there's no no stress. Beautiful. Yeah, that, that's right. You have good people around you, and. You know, I, I just got an email this morning from the guys looking after our affairs in, in America. Yeah. And I've been with him since I was 25, so that's nearly 30 years. Yeah, wow. So they have these long-term relationships. and But that's that's part of your personality as well. You go back to the Schweppes thing, and it's something that should be mentioned in this interview. It's pouring rain here. Is it raining over at Pitwater? No, no, the sun's shining. Pouring rain in Cronulla right now. Absolutely pouring, pelting down. So let's let's mention Schweppes because when I worked for the PGA and set up a national junior program, Schweppes were the sponsor and, and they've been amazing to golf over the years um, yep. in Australia. And you've always been synonymous. You had um, Sports Plus and you had the Schweppes hat on for years. And I remember one of the executives at Schweppes, I can't remember his name, said to me once when I was working for the PGA, he said, do you know, we're having a beer, and he said, do you know that um, we've gone to to Paz over the years and and offered him more money? And, well, this is what he told me, the story he told me. And he said, "Um, you guys, your response was something along the lines of, you guys helped me when I needed it most. 
Um, yep. You got, you know, it's all about loyalty. Um, I'm, I'm still here. I don't want any more money. I don't need it these days, but more than happy to wear the hat. And you stayed with them forever. Yeah, there was a really good arrangement between the, the two. It was, I had a friend that actually in the UK that was um, a businessman. He was a, a penicillin maker. Yeah. And um, he, he said when I was going to do my contract with Dunlop at the time, he said, if you don't be greedy and you get a good contract that suits you well and it suits them well, it will last forever. Yeah. And I've always kept that in my mind. You know, if you, you're fair with everyone – you know, have a long-term relationship rather than the short term. It's much harder to, to um, go out and get new sponsors. You're better off having the sponsor just there for a long, long time. And I was fortunate with Schweppes, so it worked out really well. The golf club as a uh, group, they were buying Schweppes drinks or, or Coca-Cola. And, you know, I could say to them, look, you know, I'll come and do a golf day for you or what have you in the early days. And, you know, you can buy the drinks and all of a sudden Schweppes are making a lot. They're making more out of me than I'm making out of them. Um, yeah, that's right. So, that's so right. it makes a, no sense for them to get rid of me because I'm making them more. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And before we let you go, Paz, you've been very good with your time. Tell us, um, with course design, where would you like to see that go? Would you like to... Um, have you got any goals of building your own golf course from scratch one day or yeah, where, where do you see that all heading? Oh mate, I, I am so busy with the design work at the moment. Um, I, I've, I've done one from scratch up at, at Teven, which is a nine hole. It's got platypus in the river and it's absolutely so much fun to go and play. Where's that? Whereabouts uh, is it? It's up, it's up near Ballina. All right, yep. yep. It's, it's about 10 minutes from Ballina, and it's absolutely amazing um, property, and uh, it was so much fun to build, and it was just a single owner, and um, the superintendent was uh, Paul Gumbledon, and he was doing all the construction uh, with a mate of his, Bobby, who used to be at Kingston Heath. So our first green was the putting green, and I said, look, the best green – that I've ever seen for a practice green is at Kingston Heath. And he said, which hole is it? And I said, the sixth hole. And he said, I actually built it. Oh, right. So we built that as our putting green yeah. with a couple of minor changes. And and the whole golf course is, is so much fun to play. But, you know, going up and down the coast, you know, I've got courses from Coffs Harbour to Tunkurry and Foster and Hawkesnest. Yeah, wow. And ending town here, you know, Wakehurst now. Um, I've got uh, Bayview, Palm Beach, um, just been appointed at Wyong and also at uh, Mona Vale um, well, and Port Kembla. Um, I, I'm, I'm everywhere. So, wow. You know, I really enjoy doing the design work and, and the feedback that I get from all the different golf clubs is the members are enjoying the, the changes. Well, and you care. See, the, the big thing for me there from what I see is is your personal interest. It's not like a, a company that takes on the design and it's got a name above it, but someone three steps down the ladder is the one doing the work. Whereas with you, when you sign on to it, you physically go look, update, check, talk to people, hit yeah. shots. You know, it's, it's you doing the work and it's you putting your signature on the, on the dotted line and, and having the personal pride in the job. A- absolutely. I was the probably the oldest person to go and join 
um, do a TAFE course on AutoCAD. And um, when I was doing Coffs Harbour, the, the guy that was giving me the, all the, the uh, drawings, he works for, you know, um, a big company up there, and he thought, oh, well, I'm just going to give it to someone and Paz is going to throw it off to someone else. And I said, how do you change all the layers and do this and that? He's gone, are you really doing it? And I said, yeah. Um, so I've got drawings everywhere in my office here, and uh, I really love getting out and um, taking the drawings away and, and uh, seeing how it all works. Plus, it's, it's something that um, that you put your signature on that's going to be around for a long time, which is which is great for the game. Yeah, look, I, I, it's one of those things I really do love doing. Um, so, you know, I'm fortunate I had a really good job when I was uh, younger, being able to play golf for a living. Uh, and now I've got a really good job that um, go out and design and, and make some alterations and improve golf courses. And, uh, you know, I just love doing it. Beautiful. Two last quick questions, Paz. When you were yep. growing up, which players did you idolise? Who were your favourite players? Uh, Terry Gale in WA. Yep. And, and Graham Marsh. Wow, right. But both of them are West Australians, and um, uh, both of them spent a lot of time with my career growing up and, and point me in the right direction as far as what tournaments I should play, how I should uh, get my game ready for that next level on, on turn and pro. I mean, Terry was the one that said, look, you've got to have one day off a week um, because when you're a, a tournament player, you don't get seven days to practice on your game. Yeah. And you need that one day away from the game where you can just think about what you're doing. And uh, and, and, and Terry was fantastic. And even up until um, – couple of years ago I, I spoke to him and um you know just having a chat um terry is cool. a wonderful man yeah cool and um do you still watch the golf on telly if it's on these days i, w- I watch the majors yeah and um I, I like watching the majors because obviously there's the best players are there yeah and, and um you know a lot of the courses that i've actually played over the years but um, week in, week out, no, no. I don't watch a, a great deal of it. Um, there's a lot of players on that PGA Tour. I probably only know 10% of the players nowadays on that PGA Tour. Yeah, right. the champion, Champions Tour, I know a lot of them. Yeah, right. Um, but, uh, yeah, my golfing days are, are done. And, um, you know, I'm no regrets. Uh, I, I practiced hard and, and um, played as many tournaments as I could and, uh you know, nowadays I just uh, prefer to be doing the design work. And and you, um, you're a great Aussie, mate. The, you, when you when you talk about great Aussie sports people, um, <laughs> the, the Australian, the Australian, even my mother-in-law this morning, she said, "Who are you interviewing?" And I said, "Craig Parry." And she's not a golfer, and she said, "I'd love to listen to that. What a, what a great man!" So, um, you, you've got a lot of fans out there because of the person you are, not just because of the the golfer you were, but uh, how humble you stayed over the years, which is um, why everyone loves you, mate. Thank you very much for giving us an hour of your time. The the pup didn't play up at all. No, no, she's a How good has she been? Yeah, she's she's probably ready for a walk. Got lucky. <laughs> Take her out for a wee. Mate, we'll catch up soon. Thank you very much for your time. All right, no worries, Lance. See you, Paz. Bye. You've been listening to another episode of Yardage Book Yarns. Don't forget to share it with your friends. 
and we'll see you next time.